So many years ago, Billy Graham was asked to come to New York to do an interview with the Today Show. And he agreed, and so he and his crew kind of flew out there. And when they got there uh, to, the, to the studio, the producer of the Today Show asked or told Billy, he said, hey, we've got a private room over here for you where you can pray before the interview. And Billy Graham's assistant said, well, Mr. Graham won't be needing a prayer room at this time, but thank you. And he could tell the producer, his response was kind of, confusion and a little bit of like, you know, huh? What kind of world-famous evangelist, you know, what kind of world-famous preacher doesn't need to pray before an interview that's going to go out to the entire nation? He was kind of put off or confused or whatever. And so Graham's assistant noticed that, and this is what he said. Mr. Graham started praying when he got up this morning. He prayed while eating breakfast. He prayed on the way over in the car. And he'll probably be praying all the way through the interview. What Billy Graham had figured out, and if you know anything about his life or how he lived, he figured out that you could live life on two levels. The first level is what you're doing. You're in a car, you're eating breakfast, you're doing an interview, you're having a conversation with your kid. You're at work, having a meeting, you're working on a project, whatever. There's the thing that you're doing, and then there's the second level of living, which is having an ongoing conversation with God in prayer. Two-level living. Some people call it living in the kingdom of God. Some people call it practicing the presence of God. But Billy Graham had it figured out. We're in a series right now. We're starting a series right now called God with Us. And what we want to do over the next four or five weeks is talk about what the Christmas story actually means to us and its implications and the ramifications that it has in our lives. You know, when it comes to the word good news, how many of you heard the word good news or the, the phrase good news or gospel? You've heard the word gospel. Raise your hand. You heard the word. Yeah. It, it's, the word gospel simply means good news. And what we have heard traditionally is that the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has come to this earth, Christmas time, as a baby. He grew up 30, 33 years old or so. He dies on a cross, right, for the sins of the world. Three days later, what happens? He he rises again. And if you would put your faith in him, you will go to heaven when you die. That's pretty simple. And and that message has gone out. and, And traditionally, that's the, quote, gospel. That's the, quote, good news. Now, to be clear, I agree with that 100%. All of that is true. That Jesus did, in fact, come to this earth as a baby in the manger. He was born of a Virgin Mary 33 years later. He died on a cross. Three days later, he rose again for the sins of mankind. And if we put our trust in him, we will have our sins forgiven. We'll go to heaven when we die. 100% true. All of it. But is that all the good news is? Is that the entire gospel? Some would say, yeah, that's the entire gospel. But what if there was more? What if there was more to the good news than you get to go to heaven when you die? Certainly that's good news. I'd rather go there than the other place, anybody else. (laughs) Certainly that's good news, but what if there was more? If there was more, it might sound like this. Listen to the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 1. Now, after John was arrested, how many of you know know why John was arrested? Go back to Sunday school. 
Remember why John was arrested? John was a, the, John the Baptist. He was a preacher of righteousness. And Herod, the, sort of the president back then and the leader of those days, he was a naughty man. <laughs> he actually stole his brother's wife. Her name was Herodias. It was like a Jerry Springer show. <laughs> this is in the Bible, I promise. <laughs> if you read it, you'd be shocked to see what's in there. And, 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 and John, John was calling Herod out. He's like, you can't take your brother's wife and make her your own and commit adultery and all this stuff. And Herodias didn't like that. Herod didn't like that. And so she said, I want his head. And if you know the story, this is the beginning of John losing his head, literally. But that's not, that's not why I wanted to bring that up. That has nothing to do with it. That's just the context here. So John gets arrested. After John gets arrested, Jesus came into Galilee and he was proclaiming. That word proclaiming means to preach. What I'm doing right now, I'm proclaiming. Jesus was preaching the what? The gospel, the good news of God. And this is what he was saying. Okay. Now, if there was more to it than trust Jesus so you can go to heaven when you die, this is what it might sound like. The time is fulfilled. In other words, up until this point, you've only had maybe half the truth or three quarters of the truth. But right now, the whole message has been fulfilled. The mystery has been revealed, Paul would say. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Turn. To repent means to change directions, to rethink your life. Repent and believe in what? The good news. Well, what's the good news? The good news is that the kingdom of God is at hand. We have to understand what this phrase means for us today if we want to experience the good news of the gospel. The other day, my wife convinced me to put Christmas lights up. It's one of my least favorite things to do, mostly because when you put your hands in the bushes, they prick you and you get itchy. Anybody else have a problem with the... Okay, maybe I'm the only one. I don't like putting Christmas lights up, but she's my wife, and a happy wife is a happy life, as they say. So I'm doing the Christmas lights, and somehow I managed to get my 14-year-old son to do it with me. That's a challenge. My daughter comes out late. She's helping too. And we get to this roll of lights that's tied with a big, thick plastic tie. Now, I have one of those pairs of teeth that are really sharp. Like when my kids come to me with their shirts, with their new shirts, and I bite the thin. And I thought for a second, man, I can bite through this. But I thought, no, nah, this one might cause me to lose a front tooth. So I remembered, I remembered in my toolbox in the garage, I had a wire cutters. Now, don't get the wrong picture here. I only have about five tools in my toolbox. <laughs> and I know that one of them is a wire cutter. <laughs> and so I said to my son, Bo, I said, hey, bud, would you go over there in the garage and grab my wire cutter? He's, you know, okay. Mopes over there, grabs it, back, grabs it for me, brings it to me. And he brings it to me. And I take the wire cutter and I just, I get it on the piece of plastic and I clip it off and the lights unfold and we're able to keep doing the bushes and, you know, have a great day. And as I was doing it, it hit me, oh, that's what the kingdom is like. The kingdom of God is at hand. It means it's right there in the garage. And if you would go grab it and take hold of it, you can use it in your life right now. And so many Christians have been, I don't know, confused about this. A lot of theologians have been confused about this. They don't understand what this word kingdom means. They think it's something that happens way off in the future after everybody's dead. 
and Christ returns and seven years of tribulation and the millennium and all these big giant theological words, words we really don't use talk about on Sunday morning. The kingdom is way off there somewhere. Jesus is like, nope, see, it's right in the garage. It's right in the toolbox. The good news of the gospel, here's how I put it in your notes. The good news of the gospel means that God is with us. He's at hand. Yes, after we die, 100%. But today, right now, in my life, as I'm raising children, as you're raising children, as you go to work, as I go to work, as, as you do your marriage and I do my marriage, or whatever it is that you're doing, the kingdom is, is right there at hand, and you can take a hold of it, and you could use it to make your life far better than it is right now. That's the good news. God with us. Dallas Willard wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy. It's a tough book to get through, but man, if you want to know, go deeper on this stuff, grab it. It's called The Divine Conspiracy. In the book, he talks about when he was a senior in high school in rural Missouri, super rural Missouri, they didn't have electricity back in the 19, I think it was around 1940 or so. And uh, electricity was happening all over the place, but didn't come to his town. Finally, the REA, the Rural Electrification Administration, say that five times, <laughs> they finally made it to his little town in rural Missouri. And they ran electrical wires to the house. And, and he talks about it in the book. He said, when we connected to the electricity and when we started to purchase different items, it changed our entire life. He talked about in the book about how there was no more need for kerosene lamps. This is an actual kerosene lamp. I've never used one before, but this is one. This is a coffee grinder right here. Put the coffee beans in there, close it up. Can you imagine the horror of having to do this every morning? I mean, you might reconsider coffee altogether. If you wanted some popcorn, you had to put the, the, the corns in there and you had to put, you had to make a fire and you had to cook it over and then you'd get popcorn like an hour later or something like that, you know. Life without electricity. Most of us, I would say all of us have no idea what that's like. But just imagine doing laundry without electricity. I've seen it when I went to Columbia. I saw a washboard, never seen one in my life. I saw a woman washing her clothes next to a well with her hand, shirt by shirt, bucket of water after bucket of water, scrubbing. We complain about the washing machine because it takes forever. And then you got to put it in the dryer. Then you got to fold it. Laundry is terrible. With electricity. Can you imagine it without electricity? Right? Dallas said... Our whole life changed when the REA came into town because a power that could make our lives far better than it was had become available. And all we had to do was connect to it. Now think of that example of how electricity has changed our daily lives, the quality of our daily lives. Think about that and now hear these words of Jesus through the lens of that example of electricity. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus would say in Matthew 13, the good news, it's like a treasure. It's like a treasure that, that's hidden in a field that, that a man found. He was maybe digging, maybe plowing, maybe, and all of a sudden he, he, he 
hits something hard, and it's a treasure chest. And inside of it is all these gold coins. And in his excitement, he hides it. He's like, oh my gosh, cover this back up. And then he goes and he puts all of his stuff on eBay, eBay, modern translation, and he sells everything to get the money to do what? To buy that field. What is Jesus saying here? Is he saying, guys, in a little bit, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die and and, and then I'm going to rise again. And if you trust in me and tell the whole world to trust in me, that everybody can go to heaven when they die after they get through this miserable life. Is that the good news? Does that sound like that? It's like, no, no, no. See, here, the kingdom is like a treasure. It's, it's, worth so, it's worth you and I, if we could understand what it is, it's worth everything we own to get it. That sounds more like electricity coming to your house. Yes or no? Like, it will change everything. And that's what the Christmas story is. In your notes, I wrote it like this. The Christmas story is a story about how God made it possible for us to, to be with him. The kingdom of God is at hand right now. I can enter in right now. You can enter in and experience all that God has for us in wisdom, in joy, in peace, in strength to overcome temptations, to get set free from addictions. It's all there. It's all available if you would take hold of it. Listen to the story, the Christmas story in Matthew. This is good. This is good stuff. This is how Jesus, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Many of you heard this story. Have you heard this story? Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not, did not want to disgrace her publicly. So what did he do? He decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's part of the good news. He's going to die on a cross. He's going to rise again. He's going to pay the penalty for every, every, every human in the whole world for their sin. But then verse 22. All of this occurred, Joseph... Or actually, not to Joseph, it's to us. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. This is what Isaiah said. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they will call him, say it with me, Emmanuel. You ever wonder where we get the name of our church? There's a discrepancy in the, old, in the Greek of well, should you use an E or an I, but that's, that's not the point. She'll call his name Emmanuel. Which means, say it with me, God is with us. Folks, that's the ball game. You want to know what the Christmas story is about? You want to know where we got our name? You want to know why we even exist? Why is there even a church? It's because the gospel says God can be with you today, right now. The God of the universe wants to come to you. And spend his whole life with you. Not just after you die. But right now. One of my favorite passages in the book of John. is chapter 14, verse 23. Listen to the words of Jesus. If anybody loves me, he'll keep my word. Or he'll follow what I say. Or follow my instructions. That's what a disciple does. 
A disciple falls under the teachings of the master and says, yes, sir. If anybody loves me, he's going to obey me, and my father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our, say it with me, our home with him. It's the only place in the Bible we find this word, this word home. You want to know what the good news is? God wants to come make his home with you. When we baptize people here at this church, which we're doing next week, so it's exciting. When we baptize people, what we say is, when they're about ready to go into the water, we say, I baptize you, and sometimes you don't hear it because there's not a microphone up there, but we say, the, 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 whoever's doing the baptism, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes? And then they go under and they come up. Now, what are we doing when we say that? Are we saying, I'm going to get you wet in the name of Father, Son, and Spirit? <laughs> Wasn't that fun? <laughs> You're all wet now. Oh, yay. We did it in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. No. You know what baptism is? Baptism is a symbol of, of you being plunged into life with the Trinity. Making your home with God. That's what it's a symbol of. You, you are now a student of Jesus. You now live at home with Father, Son, and Spirit. You are now in community and fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit. Let me immerse you. Let me plunge you, submerge you into life with God. That's the good news of the gospel. And if you don't want to do that, you will not be baptized at this church. Does that make sense? Because the good news is life with God. The good news is Emmanuel, God is now with you and he wants to make his home with you. Now, what are the ramifications of that? Like, where is he with us? And, and when he's with us, what difference does it make in our lives? That's what this series is all about. Applying the Christmas story to our life. Because as Dallas Willard said, a power had come to his house that made everything different. They could leave behind everything that was old and everything became new. It's a treasure hidden in a field. So let's look at it. Today I want to talk to you about how God is with us in the valley. God is with us and he's with us in the valleys of life. What's a valley? <laughs> well, you're aware of it. A valley is a low point between two high points, right? In our lives, it's not a physical location. It's more of an emotional condition that's triggered by a negative event or negative news in our life. Let me give you an example. You go in for the test and the, the tests come back and it's positive cancer. And emotionally, you go to this low place. Or, 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 or your office is, doing, is downsizing and people's jobs are up for grab and you find out that your job has been cut. And, and this negative event plunges you into a valley. Or you're in this relationship that, where there's lots of trust and all of a sudden someone breaches the trust and you feel betrayed and you're plunged into a valley. It's an emotional place. There's pain there. There's hurt there. There's confusion there. There's anger there. There's discouragement there. There's disillusionment there. It's a valley. Anybody familiar with valleys? We all go through them. Maybe you're in one right now. Lots of emotions, lots of negative emotions in the valley, but I think the dominant emotion in the, in the valley is fear. Well, what's going to happen now? Like, am I ever going to get a different job? Am I ever, ever going to find another, another person to ever love me? Am I ever, how am I going to pay for the bills now? Like, how am, I, am I ever going to make enough to pay the medical bills? Like, is this cancer going to go away? Is the chemotherapy going to work? Like, and all these what-ifs and what-ifs and what-ifs, and we play out all these scenarios in our minds that haven't even happened yet, and fear comes rushing into our life, and it's oppressive, and it chokes us. Have you been there? 
And God knew all about this. He knew our human frailties. He knew that we would get tripped up and he knew that we would give in to fear. And that's why he says, oh, the good news is that I will be with you in the valley. Listen to Psalm 23. I hope you have this one memorized. And I hope that you say it to yourself at least once or twice a day. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have everything I need. That's what it means. I'm good. Yeah, but don't you need a job? I, I, I do. Yeah, but didn't so-and-so just get diagnosed with cancer? Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah but didn't your husband just cheat on you? Yeah, he, he did. Yeah, I, The Lord is my shepherd. And I'm good. I shall not want. In fact, he makes me lie down in green pastures. I don't know if you know this about sheep or not, but they, 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 they eat seven hours a day. They do. They're hungry creatures. And they graze. And their grazing often leads them into pastures that they shouldn't go into. <laughs> and they get in trouble. Sometimes they get eaten by wolves. Sometimes they walk off cliffs. Seven hours a day of wandering. So the shepherd's job is intense. The shepherd's job is to keep the sheep in the right pasture. And when the Lord is your shepherd and when you're a disciple of Jesus, you stay right where you're supposed to be and you don't wander. And you eat from the pastures that you're supposed to eat from. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You could almost feel the peace in that statement. You're, you, just, you ever listen to like quiet waters trickle? Oh, it's so peaceful. Drinking from the water that you're supposed to drink from, satisfied, belly's full, thirst is quenched. It's an amazing psalm. This is why it's read at most funerals, because it brings peace. He restores my soul. He puts all the pieces back together after there's been a terrible situation. The pieces in my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He shows me where to go. He shows me the right path to go down in the situation that I'm in. And then verse 4, probably the, the greatest verse in the entire psalm. Even though I go, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. See, here's the truth about your life and my life. We will walk through valleys. We're not going to stay there. It's not a permanent situation. We walk through them. We go through them. A valley is a low place between two high points. You have to understand today, some of you need to hear this. You will not be in the valley forever. You'll walk through it. But even that is not incredible news or incredibly encouraging news because it's just not a fun place. It is a place of death. It is a place of loss. It is a place of pain. It's a place of betrayal. It's a place of discouragement. Things have, things have gone horribly wrong, and all of us will walk through this valley. But the good news is this. Even though you and I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to be afraid. The Bible never denies the presence of evil. It just says you don't have to be afraid in the presence of it. How could you say that, God? How could you just... Like, how am I supposed to go through this valley that I'm in right now and fear no evil? And here's the good news. Ready? For you are, say it with me, with me. Say with me, with me. <laughs> You're with me. It's your presence. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A, a shepherd would carry a rod to beat away the wolves, and he would carry a staff to keep the sheep from wandering. Sometimes he has to spank the sheep. Did you know that? 
Because the sheep, are, they're dumb animals. They are. <laughs> they go places they shouldn't go. In fact, I often say to people, mostly men, because I don't counsel women one-on-one, I say, what were you thinking? Why did you call her? Why did you go there? Why did you say that? Why did you send that text? What's wrong with your brain? Right? Because we're, we're sheep. We do stupid stuff. And so the shepherd's got to carry the staff and go, knock us over the head. Stay straight. Because he's with me and he's got this rod and he's got this staff, look, look, I'm not going to fear the presence of evil. In your notes, I wrote it like this. Watch this. Like, like, here's the deal. When you become aware of God's presence, fear disappears. It disappears. I remember when I was in middle school, I was a skinny little scrawny little seventh grader, right? Didn't really hit puberty till the eighth grade. Anybody been there? It was a sad time. And I had this kid that would pick on me and he was bully me and, you know, and he would literally, like in the movies, he would take my lunch money. I mean, it was pretty sad. And then he would punch me. So one night I went home and I told my father and he looked at my older brother who was a year older than me. He was in the eighth grade and he had already hit puberty and had a mustache. <laughs> he looked at my brother and said, tomorrow I want you to take care of that. And I was like, whoa. So the next day, my brother cuts his social studies class, and he comes to my lunch period, and he says, who is it? And I pointed at the kid. And when the bell rang to go to our next class, my brother jumped up, and he grabbed this kid in a headlock, and he started (laughs) just right in front of everybody. Kid's nose busted open. There's blood everywhere. My brother was wearing my shirt that day. (laughs) Ruined my shirt. Tables are flying, people are crying, you know, there's just, this is all over, it's just pandemonium. It was awesome, okay? <laughs> now, before you send me an email, I know some of you are about to send me an email, so let me tell you, I do not advocate violence, okay? I'm not, not telling the story for that purpose, okay? So don't handle your problems that way. Tell the teachers you're being bullied. Anyway, for the rest of that year, I had no fear. <laughs> In fact, as a seventh grader, I was like walking around like this. What? You got something to say to me? You know who my brother is? Mustache. That one's my brother. <laughs> look, look, look. Here's the, maybe it's not a perfect illustration, but when you become aware of God's presence in your life, like fear disappears. This is what God told Joshua when Joshua was ready to go into the promised land with an inexperienced army that that had no weapons, that had never fought a battle. In fact, they just got out of 400 years of slavery, and they're about ready to go in and take the promised land to fight people who were giants, and they had shields and swords, and they had years of experience in battle. Joshua was afraid. Listen to what God says to him. Have I not commanded you be strong, be courageous? Do not be discouraged or frightened or dismayed. Why, God? How could you say that? Here's what God says. Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Like it's the presence of God. And when I become aware of the presence of God in the, valley of my, in the valleys of my life, and when you do that, it chases away fear. How does that work? For two reasons. Number one, God is all-powerful. You have an all-powerful God with you. 
In the same vein, as Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, Moses says it this way in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 21. You shall not be in dread of them. Who? The people in the promised land with the fortified cities with high walls and swords and experienced military you know, uh, experience. Don't be, don't be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in your midst. He's with you, and he is a great, and he is an awesome God. What is he referring to? In the verses before that, he's referring to what God did to the Egyptians with the plagues. Remember the plagues? Have you read the book of uh, Exodus? Go back and read it. Then the, then the Red Sea parts, and the Israelites walk through, and then the Egyptians try to follow, and God closes the Red Sea, and everybody dies. I mean, what a story that is. This is this great and awesome God. He's in your midst. Do not be in dread. He will do the same thing to them that he did to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army. Wow. Now, it's not just that he's all powerful, because if that's the end of the story, then that's kind of scary. Don't you think? I mean, what if God turns on you? What if you become Pharaoh? What if you're Pharaoh's army, right? So, so it's not enough to say, oh, don't be afraid. God is with you. Secondly, we have to understand that he loves us. God loves you. Biblical love is simply this. I promise to do what is best for you. When you're in that valley, I promise to do what is best for you. In fact, the reason you're in that valley is because God has allowed you to be in that valley. If he didn't want you in the valley, he wouldn't have let you go in the valley. And the reason you cannot fear in the valley is because God has promised to do what is best for you. I was thinking about this. My children do not fear me. They do not fear me. Even when I bring discipline into their life, they do not fear me because they know that even when I bring discipline into their life, I'm doing it because I believe it is what is best for them. So they don't fear me. They don't fear, and here's what I mean by that. They don't fear that I will do something to hurt them. And the reason I won't do something to hurt them is because I love them. Listen to the way John says it about you and me. 1 John chapter 4. There is no fear in love. Why? Because love says, I'm dedicated to do what is best for you. I'm on your side. So you don't have to be afraid. Even when you're in the valley, you don't have to be afraid because I've allowed you to be in the valley. I've orchestrated it for you to be in the valley for you at this time. Because perfect love drives out, casts out fear. Not only is God all-powerful, but, but he's, he's all love. He's all loving to you. And he's going to do what is best for you. So what that means is that in the valley, instead of being afraid, we can understand that God is doing something. He's teaching me something. He's showing me something. He's growing me. He's stretching me. He's showing me something in the valley I couldn't learn any other place, that I couldn't learn on the, on the mountaintops. And therefore, James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 makes complete sense. Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you go through all kinds of trials because you know this. The testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect effect so that you can be complete and perfect. God is doing things in your life in the valley. And you can trust him. Therefore, you need no fear. You need not fear. God's presence drives out fear because he's all-powerful and he loves you. Now, what do you do with this? As we wrap this up, like what this inf I gave you a lot of information today. What do you, how do you take hold of this and step into the kingdom? Well, it's something that you have to do. 
I want to read a verse to you in Psalm 16. Oh, if you would spend time in the Psalms meditating, memorizing, and reading the Psalms, it'll change your life. Psalm 16, verse 8 and 9, King David said this, I have set the Lord... I have set the Lord. I have taken the Lord. I've put him before myself. Because he's at my right hand, biblically speaking, that means he's right there with me. I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. My life will be sturdy. And my heart will be glad. And my whole flesh or my body will be secure. That's what happens when God is with you. You live an unshakable, joy-filled peaceful life, even when you're in the valley. But here's the thing, it's something you have to do. It's not going to happen because you heard this talk. And so, oh, I heard a good talk today about God's presence and the Christmas story is about God with us. Great, awesome. I listen to lots of talks. They don't make a difference in my life until I take what I heard and I go and I do it. So here's my question to you today. Will you do it? Will you set the Lord always before you? you say, well, Danny, how do I do that? Well, what did Billy Graham do? Remember Billy Graham? Oh, on, the, on the way over here I was praying. I was praying at breakfast. I was praying. I'll probably pray right through the interview. He had a conversation with God going on 24-7. He lived at two levels. One level where he was doing things. The second level where he was talking to God about what he was doing. That's how you cultivate the presence of God in your life. Here's what I do. I, I, I use worship music. I carry on a conversation with God as much as I can, and then I'll, I'll have a couple of different worship sets, and I'll play them, and what they do is they bring me right into the presence of God every single day, every single morning. If I'm doing a workout, I've got some worship music going. It brings me into the presence of God. Something else I do is I get, I've got four or five friends that have committed to live in the kingdom with me, and I spend time with them, and we talk about the kingdom. We talk about God in our lives. We, talk, we apply it, and guess what? Those men in my life help me become more aware of God's presence. Something else I do is I, I'm, I pay attention to nature because the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And so I'll look at the stars and I'll, I'll appreciate a sunset. And when I look at those things or a sunrise, I will, I will become aware of the presence of God. I'll even use my dog. I have a little miniature schnauzer. And, and this is part of nature, folks. And I'll, I'll spend a little bit of time with him. Every time I walk through the door, it's like he hasn't seen me in two years. He jumps. He's excited. He loves me. He licks me. His breath stinks. I don't care. I don't care. And I just, all of it's just love oozing out of this, this, this impossible creature. And then he receives love from me and he rolls over and he gives me his belly. You know, anybody have a dog gives you the belly? It's like, oh, your heart, it's melted. It's like, I love when you touch me and pet me. Now, let me clarify, my dog is not God, okay? But he reveals the heart of God. Look, this, I, I, nature... Another thing I do is I memorize scripture and I talk to myself about scripture all through the day and it brings me back to the presence of God. I, hold a, I wrote a whole little blog post about this. You can check it out at dannyanderson.net, shameless plug. <laughs> Becoming, cultivating awareness of God's presence in your life. You have to set the Lord before you. If you don't do it, this will be a sermon. Next week will be another one. You'll forget about it and your life won't change. You will not step into the kingdom. Things will not become drastically different. You will not take hold of the treasure hidden in the field. You will not walk with God as Billy Graham did. You have to do this stuff. Does that make sense? Yes or no? Now, for some of you, there's something that you have to do. You've never stepped into the kingdom. You've never even heard it put that way. You thought it was about going to heaven when you die, and it is. But you've never heard the invitation like this. Come walk with God. Turn away from living in your own little kingdom and step into the kingdom of God. 
and live with God every single day of your life. Even when you blow it and when you sin, it's called grace. And God walks with you every day for the rest of your life. That is the kingdom. That is the good news. And some of you are longing for it and you want it and you know it. And you're like, how do I get it? Here's how you do it. You put your faith and trust and confidence in Jesus. That he died on the cross for you. That he rose again. He wants to live every day of his life with you. You can take these words right now. Make these words your own. Step into the kingdom of God. Become a child of God in this very moment. Whether you're watching online in another country, whether at the Franklin campus, Manta campus, Greenwood campus, wherever you are, take these words, make them your own. Step into the kingdom of God and become his child. Dear Jesus, I step into your kingdom today. I put my faith in you, my confidence in you. I trust that you died for my sin. You paid the penalty. And you rose again three days later so that I could enter in to a life with you as I'm raising my kids, working my job, handling my problems. I now choose to do it with you. Forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, and make me your child. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we give God glory, guys? Amen. Nice and loud. Come on, guys. Nothing better than that. People entering into the kingdom. Amen. If you just made that decision to step into the kingdom of God and put your confidence in Christ, we want to put a new believer's Bible in your hand. Whatever campus you're at, there's tables in the back. If you did it online, put your address there. We'll send one of these to you in the mail. It's a copy of the New Testament that gets you started on your walk with Christ. One more time, guys. Can we give God glory? Amen for what he's doing.